It says nothing about cars, but it does say something about people, right? Seeing a value in a person that goes beyond just the mechanics or the biology, but it's, it's the respect. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Toyota Untold. This is Not a Car Company, part two. In episode one, we talked to our friends Deidre DeLilly and Doug Moore about their incredible jealousy-inducing cool jobs. Deidre is group manager of Olympic and Paralympic marketing, which means she gets to work directly with some of the most incredible athletes on the planet. Doug Moore is director of technology for human support, and he literally gets to spend his day playing with robots. We promised that you'd hear more from them, so we got them back on the mic to share stories about some of the athletes we're partnering with in the Olympic and Paralympic Games and the technology that's helping them reach the pinnacle of human achievement. But we didn't stop there. We also found our friend and colleague, Russ Cobley, communications manager, Advanced Technologies, who was one of the people helping Toyota realize the future of mobility. And we wouldn't be able to realize the future of mobility if there weren't people to move. So let's check in with Deidre and chat about some of the athletes that inspire us to keep doing more. Who are some of the great athletes that you've worked with that have kind of made the job easy along the way? Oh, that, that's such a hard question because there, gosh, there's so many. I think Daniel Umstead um, yeah. this year, who I had actually previously also sponsored in mm-hmm. my past life, her and her husband, they're a visually impaired Paralympic couple. You may have just seen her actually on Dancing with the Stars. She was the first visually impaired um, dancer to mm-hmm. ever be on Dancing with the Stars. And so she's got a phenomenal story between her and her husband. He skis in front of her at 70 miles per hour and they speak over a headset. And so they, you know, there's no visual cues. It's it's all just giving direction. Trust, like literally I mean, talk blind about trust. faith. <laughs> and the personal relationship they have. It's just really super fun to yeah. see. Uh, And so, you know, when you hear a story like hers, she also has MS as well. And so she's fighting through so many, you know, different challenges and has just such an incredibly positive attitude that I know, I don't know about you, but it makes me want to get out and run or run a marathon or or do something. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So any, you don't have to name them, but have there been athletes here like, man, this was a lot more difficult to work with than, okay. Yeah, I mean, I would say... They're far and few between in the Olympic and Paralympic space. What mm-hmm. I found um, in the past many years working with these athletes is that they're so grateful because, you know, they're likely not a professional athlete. Most aren't. Mm-hmm. They're so grateful to have the partnership, the support of sponsors like Toyota or any other sponsor that they have that they want to figure out ways to give back. And they have a message that they also are trying to communicate. So the hope is that you can help in a reciprocal way get their message across and, you know, at the same time also communicate what we're trying to communicate here at Toyota. So how do you choose? Like, uh, how do you go so through hard. and choose an athlete? Because A, they ha- you have to choose basically before they even qualify, yes. right? Yeah. I mean, there's Oof. qualification events in the U.S. Every region manages their qualifications differently. But in the U.S., there's quali- qualification events that happen just two weeks before the games. So it is a art and science, most Mm -hmm. definitely. We do probably a lot more science than people realize in this process. It's a really long process. I think it takes us four to six months to really make sure that we're understanding the landscape, thinking a lot about having, you know, obviously diversity, diversity of sport, and making sure first and foremost that they align with the values of Toyota Mm -hmm. and our message of mobility and Start Your Impossible being, you know, the global corporate initiative. We're looking for athletes that have, you know, have started their impossible. They have interesting stories to tell. 
They've overcome some sort of, sort of adversity, but they're also really just great human beings yeah. and they can, you know, they can articulate their stories. We can bring them into the office and they're happy to engage with our team members and our clients. So it's not an easy process, but we work with the U.S. Olympic Committee. We work with the national governing bodies. We work with a number of agents. We talk to a lot of athletes and just mm -hmm. see, you know, does it feel like it's the right fit? So there is certainly an art to that just to make sure like you would interviewing, you know, anyone that's going to come work for you. Right. Does that feel right? Right. You know, do you think you can work well with someone? And are you really seeing sort of a, a common denominator there in terms of what you're trying to achieve? Yeah. It's it's tough to find that authenticity from mm -hmm. an athlete that shares your common goal. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about the Chloe Kim story? Because you would we were there. I was. Tell us what that was like. Amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there were definitely tears. By everybody? By everybody. <laughs> a lot of cheers and a lot of tears. You know, I think being able to work with someone like Chloe Kim, who is such a amazing athlete, someone that a role model for so many young kids in the sport. So going to that event, um, you know, we obviously had high hopes and we thought she was going to be successful, but actually having the opportunity to see her win gold was absolutely phenomenal. I think you you walk away just feeling like, did I just actually see that happen? And I know her. That's so cool. Yeah. And we were surrounded by a group, a group of Toyota, other team members. And so it was a huge cheering squad. We had Chloe Kim signs. We were the loudest group in the bunch for sure. So huge moment where you got lots of chills and walked away super proud. We actually had her a couple of days later to do some interviews with us. And so it was cool to also see, you know, her after the fact. And, uh, you know, I, it took her some time to really process the fact that she just won an, a gold medal at the Olympic Games. And mm -hmm. so that was really cool to just kind of see the the after effects of that. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure on someone. They're kind of going through all of the interviews and questions. And she went from maybe a household name in the sport of snowboard to a worldwide household name. So mm -hmm. a lot for someone that's such a, you know, a teenager to handle. Yeah, absolutely. And she has a great story. I mean, we have worked with Chloe Kim for a long time, yeah. right? I think it goes back. Her first vehicle when she turned 16 yeah. was a RAV4. Yeah, she's been, it's been cool. You know, I've only been here for a little over a year, but I hear stories of, you know, she was a, she was a young teenager when Toyota partnered with her. So seeing her kind of grow with Toyota and really be a key partner as part of Team Toyota has been fun to watch. That's awesome. Let's talk about the the spots, you know, for this pass for Pyeongchang to create a spot like that and specifically good odds. Mm -hmm. Because I think whether you're a mom like me or just a human being in general, if you didn't tear up at that commercial, oh, yeah. you have no soul. Yeah, great. So, so talk about the making of that and kind of the inspiration that you gather to make all of the uh, commercials. Yeah, so... I, I can tear up thinking about that right yeah. now. I mean, I watched it hundreds of times and got teary-eyed every single time. That is a special piece of work, I mm -hmm. think. You know, I think... And when you look back at your body of work around the Olympics, and I, that one really sticks out for me. I think there was a commitment to show the world that there are not barriers in terms of how people move. And someone like Lauren Wollstonecroft, I mean, she lives and breathes that every single day. And so selecting her and again, someone with a phenomenal attitude, just this will to succeed, no barrier is, you know, a barrier that she can't overcome. Just a ton of fun to to watch happen. And, you know, we we aired that spot in Super Bowl. And so the response that we received from that, from letters to, you know, posts on social media around what that meant to 
parents or to children that were, you know, struggling with some sort of mobility issue. It was absolutely phenomenal. It it, it took that spot to a very different personal level. Mm-hmm. And it really, I think, showed the world that, you know, there aren't limitations in what people can do. And yeah. so that was not that we're supposed to have favorite spots, but I would say if I had to rank them, that would certainly be up at the top. Yeah. And I was going to go back in because maybe people who are listening haven't I haven't seen that spot and you mm-hmm. should go Google it. And I was like, how am I going to describe this spot? And I started getting teary eyed just I know. thinking about how you describe this spot where mm-hmm. can even like... <laughs> I know. So it starts out with a, a baby with no arms and no legs. Mm-hmm. And it basically progresses and, and shows the story of how someone has been able to really kind of beat the odds. So it starts with, you know, it's, it's called good odds. It starts with the odds of winning a gold medal, um, basically given the disabilities that she was born with. And as you progress through her life, you see her story start to unfold and that she's overcoming all these barriers. She's getting on skis as a very young child. She's starting to race. She's, you know, being, she's very successful in what Mm -hmm. she's starting to do. And you can kind of just see her uh, moving up the ranks. And as that's happening in parallel, the odds of her winning an Olympic gold are significantly coming down. And so it ends with her basically winning a Paralympic gold at the games. And I think the the tone of the spot is also the music, the tone, mm-hmm. the visuals. I mean, all, it all just came together so beautifully to create such an emotional story of someone who makes you believe for, you know, that you can, you can really do anything mm-hmm. and that there aren't limitations in the way that you move. So Goosebumps. I, yeah. If you haven't seen it, go Google it right now. It's, it's, worth it. it's fantastic. And the technology as it advances improves the odds. That's right. So had that baby been born at a different time, mm-hmm. she would not have come to adulthood at a point where there were advanced Absolutely. prosthetics. And so this idea of believing in someone and believing in something and how we work together to mm-hmm. make that happen, you have to have the faith in yourself. People have to have faith in you. And then our belief or yeah. the institutional belief that these things are possible. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think having an opportunity to compete in, you know, mm-hmm. a, an, an elite stage like the Paralympics that also didn't exist, you know, years ago. So Absolutely. I, I think it allows people to dream a little bit bigger and see that it, it is a reality to compete on the world's largest stage, regardless of, you know, your situation. Mm-hmm. So you talked about Start Your Impossible a little bit. What is Start Your Impossible? So Start Your Impossible is our global corporate initiative. Um, it's something that's bigger than the Olympics and the Paralympics. It's something that's really been adopted and we're starting to rally around here at, at Toyota. It's a worldwide global initiative to really start telling the story of moving to a mobility company. And it's about Toyota helping through innovation, through technology, advance the way in which people are able to move throughout the world. And it's thinking about Toyota more than just a company that's moving people from point A to point B. It might still be moving someone, you know, in a vehicle, but it also means moving someone across the room or giving someone the opportunity that maybe couldn't travel, the opportunity to move across the world. And so it's a much broader uh, way of thinking about what Toyota is doing to help advance mobility as a whole, not just thinking about cars. Mm-hmm. And so the Olympics and the Paralympics is one way to do that on a global stage. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, this was our first global marketing campaign, believe it or not, at Toyota. Wow, it was? It was. Crazy. Yeah, so the first time that regions all over the world could 
rally around one common goal. And it's been really fun to see everyone come together and and also think about mobility in various countries around the world mean different things. And so I think having this lofty idea, this lofty goal of mobility and what it means for someone in the U.S. might mean something different to someone that's in Russia or, um, you know, a different part of the world. And so it's really kind of taking this idea of mobility and applying it regionally to what's going to advance the individual society at hand. And so it's been really interesting to just kind of learn about different mobility challenges that are happening around the world and for us in the U.S. to get focused on how we can help here. What would you say is the number one sort of societal mobility challenge right now? I mean, again, I think it's different for people around the world. I would say um, the aging society is probably, um, you know, we talk about it a lot in Japan um, because the society is aging significantly. And so I think just people being able to, you know, live their lives and have access and accessibility to all of the things that they've come accustomed to. And so what can we do, whether it's simple things or more advanced technologies to help people just be able to live their everyday lives. So I think it's um, it's the simplicity of helping with people with small tasks just kind of be able to sustain their their way of life. We were talking with Doug Moore about, you know, how these products or these advances and, mm-hmm. and innovations actually expand what is considered necessary for human happiness or human yep. well-being. That one definition was, well, they don't, need to go outside. I mean, you can stay alive by just being inside, sure. but that by being able to go outside, it is the whole person who's who's being treated. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you see what you see kind of as we go forward, how we're expanding some of those definitions. Yeah. I mean, so work closely with Doug Moore. He's great. I think um, it's, it's awesome to hear all, uh, from the technological side about all of the advances that are happening, um, which gives us the ability to start telling the world some of those stories. You know, I, I would say that as I think about the Paralympic movement, again, I think the Paralympics are, again, such an epitome of what it means to help advance and, and live in, your, in an authentic way. And so, when we talk to Paralympians, you know, they talk a lot about many have either been injured um, later on in life or competed maybe. Brad Snyder, um, he's a Paralympic swimmer. He uh, swam at the U.S. Naval Academy. Um, he was injured in the war and he came back and, you know, he really questioned what what he was going to do and how he was going, going to continue having sport as part of his life. He immediately went into training into the Paralympics and won a gold um, in swimming. And, you know, he just said he had to kind of reset the way in which he thinks about mobility and the way in which he lives, but he didn't want to give up everything that that was core to who he was. And so I, I think there's a lot of examples of Paralympians and, and helping be able to tell those stories to give people inspiration and hope um, that Maybe you have to think about mobility or your everyday life a little bit differently, but it doesn't mean there has to be limitations. That's beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) Going back to Start Your Impossible. So 2020 is like closer than you think. And it's around the corner. We're reminded of it every day because there's a a countdown clock in our work area that we look at. It's 600 and something days away. So wow. Yeah. If people think, if you think she's joking, she's not. There's a legit countdown clock. And it's big and you can't miss it. Um, So how are you preparing for it? How are you gathering the inspiration really to make Start Your Impossible and kind of bring it down into this region here in the U.S., Mm -hmm. bring it to life? 
life and uh, through whether it's creative, through it's the athletes that we pick. Yeah. Give us an inside peek into yeah, the strategy. Absolutely. You know, I, I am a firm believer that the most effective way to storytell around the Olympics and Paralympics is through the lens of athletes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, as an American consumer um, who's watching the games very intently, I'm sure you can all... Uh, you know, imagine yourself watching the game, sitting around with your family at night. That's who you relate to and mm-hmm. that's who you cheer for. And the coolest thing, and what I love so much about the Olympics is that for 17 or 18, depending upon the year, days, all of us are on the same team. And mm-hmm. that doesn't happen in any professional sport at any point in time. So that's a really cool phenomenon in the United States. Yeah. Um, so I think that we have to, and that's why we do so much work and so much due diligence around selecting athletes that we think are so authentic to us and can tell our story. You know, we work with athletes to understand who they are, what makes them tick, what their start your impossible stories are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're really the conduit for us to really tell the world what it means to achieve something that seems impossible. Mm-hmm. Now, do you look for... Okay, we have the tried and true longer term, you know, athletes that we know are going to do well versus yep. the like, hey, this teenager might be the up and coming person, but we don't know this could they couldn't make it. Absolutely. <laughs> we love to have a mix. Um, okay. It makes it really interesting too because, you know, I think regardless, um, at least in my history, I've never managed a sponsorship where at least an athlete hasn't made it to the Olympics or Paralympic Games. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a challenge. It's a gamble, but that's that's the fun of it. And that's what makes the Olympics and the Paralympics what they are. Mm-hmm. You don't know. There's up and coming stars. They will be household names in two years and you and I have never heard of them right yeah. now. Yeah. So yeah, we um, at, at Toyota, I think we try to identify athletes that live and breathe, you know, kind of the essence of the brand. And, and we think have a really good opportunity to tell their story mm-hmm. through the lens of Toyota. So yes, it will be a mix of, you know, I think some will call them more legends mm-hmm. <laughs> and others that, you know, may or may not actually make it to the games, but we think have a great connection to our story. Yeah, we did see uh, in social media about a couple of weeks before uh, Pyeongchang that we got a couple of guys who were like, hey, I think I'm going to make it. Can you please sponsor me, Toyota? And it's like, that ship has sailed, buddy. Yeah. Uh, you have no idea how many emails I get on a oh, know, weekly sure. basis around, I know someone who I know is going to make it to the games. Can we sponsor them? It's it's really fun to read. Is your response, my job is to know? <laughs> yeah. 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 No, this you know what? You never know though. So yeah. you always follow up on those leads and you know, we, we do have a pretty formal process in place to make sure that we're vetting the athletes in the right way. And, you know, social media has become a really important component of that. What's their, one, what's their following? But two, you know, what's their risk potential? Right. right? What I have mean, they said? Mm-hmm. What have they said? What have they not said? How are they engaging with their communities? They become a reflection of your brand. Thanks, Deidre, for the inside scoop on what it's like to find and work with athletes competing at this level. Next, we want to know more about the craziness to come in the 2020 Olympic Games in Tokyo. So how will Tokyo 2020 differ from past Olympics? And what are you most excited about? I think Tokyo 2020 is going to be the most exciting, innovative, technologically advanced games that I've certainly ever seen in my lifetime. It's of course, really exciting for us because, you know, it's in Tokyo and our headquarters are there in Tokyo. So we are working very closely with a team of folks in Tokyo to together figure out the right way to tell that story. And so uh, Toyota is well embedded on the ground um, with the IOC, with the Tokyo uh, 2020 Organizing Committee, 
and working closely on, you know, everything from providing fleet vehicles to ensure that we're getting people around more efficiently than ever before to full accessibility so that, again, talking about moving freely throughout the world so people can move freely throughout the games without any hesitation or any issue. And then, you know, things like we've heard in the past, athletes have challenges getting to and from events or just navigating Olympic Village. And so Toyota is going to be providing, you know, services. The e-pallet is going to serve as a service to, you know, get our athletes um, around in a much more efficient manner. Is this the first time the e-pallet will be in use? At the games, it was, it's shown at CES. Um, there's been a few other, I think, use cases, but I think functionally in public, I, I believe that's the first time that it's actually going to be used. So that's going to be really fun to see. The other thing is, you know, if you've ever been to the games before, you know, it is a logistical nightmare especially at the beginning of the game. So, you know, getting to and from opening ceremony and just getting to and from events, it can re- it can really leave a, a negative experience um, on people if it takes three or four hours to get to and from games. And that's a great point because I have never been to yeah. an Olympic game, Paralympic competition. So what is the experience like? If you're, let's say if you were not Brand with there with sure. the brand. What is the experience like for yeah, someone no, who just no went? VIP all yeah, access? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's transportation usually in the way of buses um, that get people from various locations across the city to various venues. Uh, there's oftentimes very long lines at the beginning of the games. Bus drivers are always getting lost. I've yet to be at the games where I haven't been a bus where <laughs> they've gotten lost. So you got to work through the kinks, particularly at the beginning. Yeah, and you know it's just it's long lines like any other event. Getting in and out of stadiums can be incredibly difficult. So it takes some time to kind of work out the challenges. It usually gets better, but by the time it's efficient, it's the end of the game. So Toyota is taking a very active role using the Toyota production system. Yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, it's so cool. So my hope is that we're not going to be waiting in lines, you know, for three hours. We're going to be able to get in and out of games. Uh, So really creating an urban transportation system so that, you know, Toyota can help manage the flow, the traffic, reroute, um, you know, some of the fleet uh, of accredited vehicles so that people can move much more quickly, much more efficiently, and hopefully just have an overall better experience. So it's going to be very cool to see that in action. The last stat that I saw was that up to 15 million people would be visiting Tokyo. So Well, they have a challenge now. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think after 2020, what's the legacy that we want to leave or, you know, continue to tell after 2020 games? You know, I, I would imagine that this is going to be a long journey that we're on in terms of contributing to society to help advance mobility. And so I don't see that changing for quite some time. Uh, You know, as a sponsor, you do want to leave a legacy on your host city. So I do believe that Tokyo will have left a legacy in terms of, you know, infrastructure that can be leveraged moving forward with, you know, I think showcasing how to, you know, run an event, how to bring people together from across the globe in a, a way that's accessible and that gives people the ability to experience, you know, everything the city has to offer as well as the games have to offer. Mm-hmm. Being someone, so we've talked a lot about mobility at this company, just, you know, not yeah. during not during these podcasts, but I mean, as Toyota employees, we hear a lot about mm-hmm. mobility. And I always think it, it can mean different things yeah. to different people. What do you think it means to you? Yeah, we talk about that all the time. I think if you went and asked 10 people what they thought mobility was, you'd get 10 very different answers. Mm -hmm. 
I actually just talked about this not too long ago because as a team member at Toyota, I feel an obligation and a responsibility to help communicate this message and to kind of live and breathe this message. So for me, in thinking about this through the Olympics and Paralympics, you know, as we, you know, there's people who want to partner with us on endless things. And so as I'm thinking about assessing, you know, things, opportunities that come our way, I often use that filter of, is there an opportunity to ultimately help advance society in some way? And so whether that's one individual who we might be helping, a Paralympic athlete, or that's a group of people, maybe it's with, you know, the U.S. Olympic Committee where we can help advance a sport. That's the way that I I view it. Mm -hmm. Is there some sort of impact that we can have that could help people move more freely and experience life in a more limitless way. Yeah. And on that that's a big lofty statement, but that's kind of the world that we operate in at this moment. No, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it seems abstract to people because they can't envision it, but yeah. it's it's closer than we think. It absolutely is. It's, it's coming. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's, it's coming fast and furiously and people are going to be able to experience life with the assistance of technology and innovation, whether it's from Toyota or, you know, other mobility uh, producers, providers across the world. We're going to see a really different way of living. To help us get a glimpse of the future that Deidre just described, we talked to Russ Cobley to learn more about some of the technology that's right on the horizon and how he envisions that technology may change our lives. Hey, Russ. Hi. How's it going? Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> we just saw you upstairs a little while ago. Yeah, that's right. And now here you are in advanced technologies, which is really the leading edge. There's a lot of risk taking going on there. Yeah, there's a lot of risk taking. There's a lot of kind of figuring out as you go. Mm-hmm. I mean, we kind of joke that we're building the airplane as we're flying, you know, yeah. um, trying to figure it out. They, I mean, it's an exciting time in the automobile industry. And I say automobile industry, it's, you know, we're more connected than we've ever been. The software and the safety systems and just the the awareness around the vehicle is so much more than it was before. You know, we're starting to see things like vehicle-to-vehicle communication, vehicle-to-infrastructure communication. Software has become a bigger part of uh, what we do. Uh, This weekend, I was with some friends from high school, and I was explaining kind of a little bit about what we were doing, and I mentioned that we had started a software company, and they were a little bit puzzled by that. You know, (laughs) why, why would Toyota get into software development? And but it's, it's not a bridge too far once you kind of start explaining to people that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, software is needed and big data is needed to actually help people move through the world and make experiences better. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's very exciting. I mean, from the PR perspective, since you are in advanced technology, can you talk a little bit about what, how you see or how we talk about our concept of mobility as a kind of a blanketed statement? At the core of it is the customer. You know, it's about helping people move through the world in ways that maybe they didn't even think about. You yeah. know, there's technology, but then there's also what is that technology or how does that technology benefit us as human beings, right? It's how can we make it seem- seamless? How can we make it ubiquitous? So it's something that's always around and it's always accessible to you. And then the other big part of it that I think one of the things that I'm most proud of this company uh, and working for it, and this is an area that I, has been new to me, is kind of the environmental approach that we're taking, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with looking at, you know, a lot of people say, well, Toyota is a leader in environmental because of Prius. And that is true. Yeah. You know, I mean, we introduced the first hybrid vehicle, mass mass produced, mass sold, and it's still a 
you know, hybrid technology is now becoming much more ubiquitous uh, because of the work that we did with Prius. But there's so much more that the company is doing that I think we don't necessarily talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, you know, now we have an electrification strategy that gets us to almost zero emissions by 2050. So we'll be selling you know, the majority of electric vehicles. And that fits into kind of this whole idea of a mobility and how it can benefit society. So, you know, some of the work that we're doing in that field is really to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. We know that global warming is real. Uh, nobody buries their head in the <laughs> Hot sand. Take. Hot take. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, that's why we have our Toyota Challenge 2050. We, yeah. We're not burying our head, yeah. head in the sand and saying, that, you know, that cars aren't, you know, part of the problem, that Cars are part of the problem. Right. The emissions that we put out anytime you burn a fossil fuel is impacting our environment. And for those who are naysayers, my my question would be, what's the harm in trying? Right? right. What's the harm yeah. in doing yeah. something different? And you know, we know that we can reduce particulates and greenhouse gases. Why wouldn't we? Exactly. So in my speeches, I like to say we were hybrid before hybrid was cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I mean, I get it. We've kind of all of it eventually ties back to our core values, which is respect for people. And, you know, that includes the planet and those kinds of things. So I think all that's really exciting. I think a lot of times also, it's really broad and it's really confusing to mm-hmm. some people because like you said, your friends didn't know that we had a software company. And some people out there are probably like still wondering, okay, they said they have a software company, but like, why? You know, like, why do we have a... Why are we starting a software company? What will that... What will that do and how will it affect our, our customers or the average person that's listening? Well, I, th- I think one of the the easiest thing that I can point to is I used the word seamless before. Yeah. Right now, if you're using, you, you're using your phone a lot and you're using apps a lot to manage your life and and you're having to go from one thing to the other, right? If you, if you want to get a reservation, if you're driving, you've probably got an app that's mm-hmm. giving you directions, you know, GPS app or map app. And you want to stop and have lunch somewhere along the way. And you, then you have to go to Yelp to look up to see what's around. And then you yeah. have to reprogram your map app to get there. And, oh, that place may have been behind you, but that's the place that you wanted. The software that we're developing now can actually help put all of that stuff in the background. Not that we'll be creating a whole new map app or anything, but we really want to try to make that seamless. And, and so then you could simply ask your car to make recommendations. And, oh, by the way, we might even be able to, to make that uh, ahead of time, mm. just knowing that you've yeah. been traveling for three hours, right? So the car can then prompt and say, okay, it's getting close to lunchtime. Would you be interested in, you know, getting right. a reservation somewhere? And, oh, by the way, we know the car could then make the reservation for you, you know, for the time that you'll arrive. And it will also know how many people are in the car with you just based on the seatbelts that are buckled within the car. That's really cool. So it's just taking information that's in the space that's around you and then just using it in an intuitive way. And that's really a lot of what we're working on with what we're calling our mobility services platform. It's awesome. Yeah. Again, one of those sort of company tenets that improving lives, right? I mean, I'm hearing a safety component to that, but it's which I think is a big part of mm-hmm. what's behind a lot of this, but also just kaizening life. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I think there are within a lot of what our goals are. There, there's this whole idea of zero. You know, mm-hmm. it's the the idea of zero emissions, uh, zero fatalities. You know, I mean, we're working towards all of that stuff. I mean, I, I mentioned that we're we're trying to, if we can eliminate 
fatalities from auto accidents, you know, by having cars connected and communicating with each other and, you know, using autonomous to make sure that, you know, the flow of traffic and things get much easier. That's, that's the goal. And again, it's, it is from the making life easier for people. And it's also making things more accessible for people too. So once we can get to the point where uh, we're in an aging society, a lot of countries around the world are dealing with aging societies. And one of the hardest things for anybody to give up is freedom of movement. Yeah. So if we think about that, how can we impact people's lives? How can you extend people's lives by keeping them involved in community? So that's a, that's a big part of what a lot of the team, you know, that's developing this stuff is working on and, freedom of movement, you know, so we're getting into spaces that I never thought we would be in, which is more robotics and wellness for people. So, you know, we've got our partner robots uh, that we're looking at for helping people kind of in that aged community to be able to help them just communicate and have, you know, interaction on more consistent basis. So, uh, and then some of the work we're doing with uh, Paralympics and Special Olympics uh, in trying to, you know, work with those communities and learn from them. I mean, that's another thing about Toyota is it's not a one-way street. We're not just involved in the Olympics because we want to be a sponsor of the Olympics and advertise around the Olympics. We've, we've created partnerships within those spaces to see what can we learn from that and then how can we take that and create products that actually help them improve their lives. So it's a fun part. It's a it's new for me. And again, that points to, you know, having been with the company for 21 years, I'm in a whole new space and learning all of this new yeah. stuff. So it's exciting. Yeah. But I think you're in good company though, because I think the the entire world right now is focused on technology, advanced technology and how we're going to move and what the future looks like. So it, it seems kind of like a, like a trial by error situation, right? It's brand new. Everyone's new to it. Everyone's trying to figure it out. So it's a really cool spot to be in for for you, especially with your experience with the company. We do have an advantage. I say that because all of us, if you've been to college, you've all studied the Toyota production system, you know, on some level of, and, and it's about efficiency and it's something that's a core part of our company. We've actually, the software world has actually taken a lot of the tenants of the Toyota production system and and created what they call Agile. Oh, you're Um, right. Yeah, so Agile is is basically the Toyota tenant. And so we're using that in a lot of ways in our advanced technology. So to your point, there's a lot of trial and error right Mm -hmm. now, but it's it's doing it quick and I don't want to use the cliche of failing fast, but right. that's, you know, that is part of it is how how can we learn from it and how can we take incremental growth, that whole idea of Kaizen mm-hmm. out of those experiments and, and the work that we're doing. So, And if you went to a liberal arts school like me and majored in journalism, you may have not studied the Toyota production system, but just an overview of the Toyota production system, if you had to give a rundown in like a minute. What how, what would you say about the Toyota production system? What is it? Toyota production system is all about just in time. It's having the right product. And originally it was for manufacturing. It was not having too much inventory. It was having, you know, this whole supply chain be on time. Everything was in the place it needed to be at the right time so that you could be more efficient with the production of a vehicle. And so in, in one minute, that's, you know, it's about efficiency. It's about speed. It's about, you know, efficiency. Eliminating waste. Eliminating waste. Yeah. Yeah. And in manufacturing, in catching a mistake, when it happens, I love, when I got here, I love the the phrase pulling the end on. Oh, yeah. 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 I love that. It's like a great metaphor. You can use it everywhere. Yeah. 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 But tell us, when do we pull the end on cord? (laughs) We pull it anytime we see any sort of an issue. So the end on cord is an amazing tool. And 
again, it's <laughs> it's that respect for people. It's the person who's looking at it has the ability to say, we need to stop this because there's a problem. So, And for those of you who think we have these cords hanging over our heads in the <laughs> office, like, like an oxygen mask coming out of the, the airplane. Uh, yeah, in manufacturing, it is real. There is a cord that is pulled. On in, the line, yeah. yeah. on the line, yes. Uh, there is a cord, but here, you know, in... in Software development or in development, it's it's metaphorical. Yeah, it's really in the just office, raising it. yeah. it's like Downton Abbey, where you have a bell you pull when you need a servant to come <laughs> right. <bring> something. <laughs> yeah, in the office, it's just something we say, not something that we do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. It's so. a state of mind. Right. Yes. CES has become one of the bigger shows that we do in the year. And last year we had a tremendously big event with the introduction of ePallet. Tell us about CES, maybe some stuff coming up or how CES is changing the landscape. Yeah, you know, CES CES is the Consumer Electronics Show, which is, you know, held in Las Vegas every year. CES has become a big part of, you know, as we move to a mobility company, it's it's the software, it's the electronics. So being able to show the things that we're thinking about and last year was huge for us because, and we actually won best in show for CES, not just in the automotive category, but for the whole show for what we introduced. And it's less about the concept of ePallet, which is an autonomous platform that can move goods and services to people. Think of it as, you know, a shoe store that can show up autonomously to your house instead of you having to get in a car and go, you know, buy something. These e-pallets will bring goods and services to you uh, wherever you're at. So, and the bigger part of that, and I think what we got a lot of credit for was having the business plan kind of put together for e-pallet. So it's, we know that we can't do this stuff by ourselves. Toyota is not going to be the company that makes the shoes for you that go in the e-pallet, mm-hmm. you know. So we also announced partnerships with a number of partners that will be part of this e-pallet alliance that we're calling it. Amazon, Uber, Didi, which is the large car sharing uh, ride hailing company in uh, Asia. And I'm missing a couple other. Is that Pizza Hut? Yeah. Did I say Pizza Hut yet? I may not have. Pizza Hut's know. another one. That one obviously stuck out to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because people said, what are you doing with Pizza Hut? And we we're like, well, Pizza Hut needs to deliver something yeah. and we can give them a platform. Uh, it's electric. So it's clean. Uh, it's autonomous. So it's efficient. And then, you know, the platform itself can be adjusted and uh, changed frequently. So. I'm kind of confused about what that, I mean, it's, it's a concept right now. So what would that look like? Is it like a food truck? It's hard for me to conceptualize. The vision that we have is there would be different sized vehicles. Uh I call it a platform, but it's a vehicle. Think of it as a large, like a moving container. Okay. Like a a pod. Like a pod. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But we'd have three different sizes. The the largest being something that can move a lot of goods and services to Mm -hmm. like a warehouse or something of a semi now, you know, it would be just like the, the box of the semi. Uh, and then we have a smaller one that can move goods and services through like urban areas. And then we actually even have smaller ones that would take individual packages to people's door or directly oh, to okay. them. So cool. And they would be kind of roaming the city waiting to be requested. That's a good point. Uh, using some of the software that we've created, which we call our mobility services platform, they wouldn't just be randomly roaming the city. You would actually, you know, use the scheduling and the intelligence mm-hmm. and big data to make sure that they were being efficient. And so we we know we don't want to fill the streets with just a bunch of things waiting to be used. Uh, we want to be efficient and make sure that the goods and services that people are looking for show up when they want them on time, you know, that sort of thing. Anything you can tease for this That's year's what I was show? Say. For this year's yeah. show, yeah. Um, I, I think you'll hear a lot from us on 
similar? What's, what is the future of mobility look like? Uh, and how does Toyota see that? And, you know, what are some of the products that are going to be coming that support that? Because, you know, we, we talk about mobility in the future, but there's a lot of mobility products that are here now. Yeah. You know, autonomous is something that's getting closer and closer. We, we don't think that's going to be as ubiquitous as people think right away. It's going to take a while to get the sensors mm-hmm. and cameras to a good point. But, you know, there are components that are already in vehicles that help with that. So there's a lot of things that are here and impacting our lives today that maybe we don't even notice. But uh, all of that will start to come together and it will affect the way that we live and move in society. And it's a, I'm an I'm a optimist and I'm really excited for that the ease of movement. I There's a lot of things in my life. Um, one of our executives likes to use the term, you know, to free us from the tyranny of technology, mm-hmm. you know, and just make it super easy for us to move. And that's, that is a vision of the company is how can we take down barriers for people as they move throughout the world, not just moving from A to B, but just interacting with life. Yeah. As we speak, there are innovators all over Toyota working on future products and future I guess inventions goods that, and services, goods, yeah, and, yeah. That, that will be rolled out over the next several decades. I imagine. Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, we've expanded as a company into so many different areas that it's a good time to be with a company for sure. Before we end the episode, we said we'd check back in with Doug Moore, and this time we want to talk about a big topic. So I feel like if we get to maybe a loftier question. What do you think that your work or how do you think your work, does it have potential to change the world? Of course it does. I think anytime we as individuals find something we're passionate about mm-hmm. and actually go about it, yes, that's world changing. If it's not just for you, it's for the people around you. Uh, I think that one of the things that I've learned in life is when, even when you don't expect it, people are still watching kind of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. and. You don't do it because they're watching, but just knowing that, you know, other people see that passion. The other day, I got in the elevator and somebody's like, hey, it's good to be around some, a rock star or something like that. And I was like, what are you talking me? about me? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I don't really look at myself that way. That, that's not why I'm doing this. But he's like, yeah, we need leaders like you and people that have vision and inspiration. And I think that simple sort of motivation of vision and inspiration Mm -hmm. helps to change people's sort of day-to-day, what do I get up? What am I doing? I just happen to have that key sort of opportunity where my personal mission statement and my work mission statement are pretty closely overlined where I'm trying to do things to help people to improve quality of life. Mm -hmm. When you start to share that story, we talked earlier about HSR in the video, there's nobody that can't watch that and say, wow, that's amazing. The only next step that we need to do is reflect on our own lives and say, how do I look at my community that's around me and think about making a difference? Mm -hmm. And in so doing, yeah, we change the world. I realize it's, again, a high lofty perspective. But being able to see people, see the change in life should impact everybody. Mm -hmm. And that's just a simple fact. No, I think you're one of the first people I've actually met who has said their work is what they've always wanted to do it. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's so important that your personal vision has matched your professional vision because I think that's a huge gap that a lot of people experience. You know, they work because they have to work and they have to make money and, you know, support their families and stuff. But it's maybe not what they what they want to be doing all the time. Right. But it sounds like you found your place here and, and you found a niche that you feel like can help other people and help you. 
So do you get to go back and inspire like other young engineers who are thinking of right. maybe coming into the same avenue that you did and kind of want to make changes to the world as well? So do you get the opportunity to go inspire other young engineers <laughs> to change the world like you do? Of course. I mean, I think we all do in our day-to-day basis. I do more specifically get that opportunity. There's a couple that come to mind uh, that we've had here. There's a talk that I gave at a net impact conference, Mm -hmm. which is young and emerging leaders in this sort of space of social good, and was able to sort of tell the same story to them, what we're doing in an abbreviated version, saying, hey, here's my mission statement. Here's the work. What's your mission statement? Think about it. Like, the question or the statement you said a few minutes ago about me being able to find my passion and being able to do that with what I've always wanted to do, it wasn't always so clear, right? Mm-hmm. When I was younger, I did want to sort of work with Formula One. And there was times where I was questioning, should I do firefighting? Should I do engineering? Mm-hmm. But I really asked myself that question and sort of, again, searched within me. And, and you know, for me personally, again, I said, what do you want me to do with my life that makes an impact for other people? Mm-hmm. And then the opportunities sort of just came about to say, here's an opportunity to do something. And it's just great. And I think that helped to solidify my passion. When I realized that that passion was there, again, it doesn't mean that every day I come to work, it's like, wow, this is great. I'm doing <laughs> <laughs> There's still challenges. Yeah. And I think things that are difficult to do, I mean, things that are good to do are going to be difficult. Right? right. There's going to be a challenge to get you there. You just have to sort of have that motivation to say, I keep working through this on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. We had some, uh, both Girl Scout troops that came in here and there's a whole Girls Who Code that came in here and then we got to sort of share their story. And you can see when people are engaged. It's, it's great to put a video up where you have some real people talking about it because you see everybody's eyes light up. Mm-hmm. When I'm speaking, there's usually like, 30 to 40% of the audience that you can see are super engaged. And yeah. you, I can almost see the wheels in their head turning. What can I do? Now, there's the other percentage of the audience that kind of checks out, which is fine. I mean, that's that's the world as it is. Yeah. But there are all those people that I can tell, hey, this is something unique that I haven't heard before. Mm-hmm. How do I actually make a difference? No, I think, that, I think that makes sense though. Because if you think about the people that are geared towards math and science and, and things that you're talking about, that's not going to be the entire room, right? Mm. Just hearing you say all of this really uh, reminds me of the story of our founder and how we got back to our roots of we just wanted to, you know, our founder just wanted to make his mom's life a little bit easier with the loom that she was working on and saw what a tough time she was having. And I think that it's great to see that that's continued forward all the way to the work that you're doing now. That's right. I think one of the fortunate things I've had in my life is my parents, obviously, my dad's super creative and my mom is super patient. <laughs> Both of those two things are definitely true in my life. And I almost, I wonder in our founder, Sakaichi, I wonder what was his influence. Um, you know, maybe his dad or maybe his mom was super creative and that just was his outlet, right? Mm-hmm. But not only is it that quality of life issue, but it's the core fundamental Toyota way where we have respect for people and continuous improvement, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it says nothing about cars, but it does say something about people, right? And so Mm -hmm. that respect for people is super important. It's seeing a value in a person that goes beyond just the mechanics or the biology, but it's it's the respect. Mm -hmm. And so we all need that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's it's fundamental. Well, I think, you know, being someone who's relatively new to the company, it would be easy for us to forget everything else and just focus on selling cars, selling cars, selling cars. But it's that vision to say, 
especially from Akio Toyota. Okay, I've had such a family that has been innovative and thought forward that he's thinking like, okay, what is the next thing that I'm going to do to help our generation of people? What if it's not cars? What is it? You know? Yeah. And I think that's where we are going to sell cars. We're going to sell cars for a long time. But what's that next thing that's going to happen? And you're on the forefront of that. Yeah. Which is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that vision component is is super important. We but I think a lot of people have that vision. It's Mm -hmm. just bring it forward. You know, look at what's going on in your life. Ask yourself the question, what am I doing? You can be a journalism maser and still be (laughs) asking yourself that question. (laughs) For sure. Right? And then we can change the world. So that's it for Not A Car Company Part 2. Hopefully between Part 1 and Part 2, you finally understand what we mean by Toyota being a mobility company. While we are grounded in making and selling the best cars and trucks, we're also looking towards the future. From our corporate headquarters in Plano, Texas, this is Tyler. This is Kelsey. This is Allison. Thanks for joining Toyota Untold. Told.